Hey, this is Shane Valenstein, the pastor at City on a Hill Community Church. I want to welcome you to our sermon podcast. I hope that this podcast helps you grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at cityonahillmd.org. Enjoy the message. If you don't know me, my name is Brian, as uh, Shane shared. Um, and uh, Shane and I have been uh, friends for about the last six months. We've known each other for longer, but um, it's... Uh, <laughs> It's hard to get to like, um, and so, no, um, we've been friends for quite a while, and uh, it's good to be here, um, especially good to be here when he's here. He just somehow has always been gone every time I've preached here in the past, trying not to take that personally, um, but um, no, it's good to be here and get to share, and uh, in a little bit, we're going to talk about Restoration Church, we're going to talk about this, but um, I just can't help it. When I come to a worship service here, um, I believe that... Um, this has been, this is probably not great church planter things. Like you're supposed to like come and get to want to share about your church for 30 minutes and everything else. I just can't help though that I just feel like there's always a word that God has for each of us every time we gather together. He has something to share as we open up his scriptures. And so we're going to get to the church plant part, but if you're going to, uh, if you'll let me, and even if you won't let me, I've got the microphone and you don't uh, this morning. Um, I'm going to preach for a little bit, and uh, I think that maybe there's a message for us in that, and then we're going to get to uh, what Restoration Church is and why we exist and where we're kind of going with things. But Marvin's story, uh, it's a crazy story, right? Like, that's a, that's a crazy story. Some of you maybe have some, some handles to, like, understand that. For some of you, that's like, whoa, that is crazy. That is outside of anywhere I've ever been or what's going on. It's an amazing story. And can I be completely honest? When I first heard Marvin's story... My first reaction was not, wow, that's awesome. I really want to be a part of stories like that, many, many stories like that. My, my, honestly, my reaction was, and maybe it's just me. You don't have to put yourself in the boat with me. Mine was like, well, there's the one in the million story. I'm glad they found that to put that in a video to make that sound really nice. But how about the other 999,999 people that that was not their story, right? That they're still in a jail cell, that this is not the thing or worse sitting there. I mean, it's a powerful story, but if we're honest, I think for some of us, it's a, it's a hard-to-believe story. Maybe not hard to believe that it happened, but maybe hard to believe that it has any bearing on our story or it ever could be, could be our story. It's the one-in-a-million thing, it seems like, when we do this. And if you're a little cynical like me, that's kind of where you go, except for, for this, this thing that I've realized over, over my years in doing ministry and my years engaging with people, my years of, of having this time, is that... Is that this story is all over the place. It just maybe doesn't have the same details, but it's everywhere. In fact, it's probably your story or maybe a story of someone who knows you or the story of someone who brought you this morning or the story of someone around you that, that is there. It just may not have the same, same dramatic pieces that are part of the scenes, but it's there. I know that because I, I know a guy named Ajay. Ajay is a friend of mine. He lives out in Frederick, and um, Ajay, uh, his, his story is almost the same as, as Marvin's story, really. Ajay uh, went to prison. He made some bad decisions um, when he was in college and um, ended up having to uh, do some time for those decisions that he made involving drugs and substances and, and things like that. While he was in um, prison, he... Um, he had some connections that, that with, with, with some Christians who came in and, and started to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and God started this new work in Ajay's heart. 
and in Ajay's mind and ignited this fire within him that, that he saw kind of the pathway that he, that he was on that ended up resulting in the place that he found himself. And he said, I want to spend the rest of my life serving, helping, and mentoring young people who find themselves in similar situations so that they don't end up going down the same road to the same places I've gotten into. And so he ends up, at the end of this, he goes and, and he changes his life, and now he has started a nonprofit, one of the fastest growing nonprofits in the city of Frederick, that actually takes kids who find themselves in broken homes and find themselves in at what we call at-risk type of situations, and he mentors them and serves them, and it gathers others with a similar story to do that. And it's been so effective that literally the public school system had to change its policies because they said, that guy's life has changed and yes, he has a conviction, and before we had this deal that if you had, a, if you had a felony conviction, you couldn't be on a campus to be able to do things. We're actually going to change the rule because we've seen the change that has occurred in this guy's life, and we need more of him in these spaces. That's a powerful story of God moving, right? There's a guy named Victor that I know. He... Um, had the tragic loss of his son when his son was a teenager, just an awful situation and the unimaginable pain and the weight and the hurt that occurred in that, right? And so uh, that we can't even really, most of us, wrap our minds around unless you experienced that yourself. And, and so he went to, he was going anywhere to try to numb and to, to try to just get through this. And so he went to various different substances and one thing led to another thing, which led to another thing, which led to another thing, right? And then what happened was that in the midst of that dark space, God met him there and brought transformation and change into his life. And now Victor, who, who found himself in this dark, dark, dark spot, finds himself in a place where he actually now is the guy that other men go to when they find themselves in those dark, hurting, and, and difficult places. And he is the guy that they come to to help with working through the loss, working through the depression, working through the pain, working through the loneliness. There's a guy named Paul that I know. He's kind of the other end of the spectrum. He was the guy that Man, he checked every box when he was young. When he was 35 years old, he had climbed all the ladders, gotten to all the places, made all the money. You know, he had, he had done all the things that you're supposed to do, had the house, had the cars, had the boat. I mean, he had everything there. And then one day he woke up and he realized, I am so successful and yet I have irreparably damaged my, my marriage. I don't know who these kids are that, are that apparently live in the same household as me. I don't know who they are, though, at all. They just kind of run around all the time. I don't know anything, and I'm impossibly alone. I have no friends. I have nobody around me. I've climbed the heights and found out that I'm the only one here, and I don't know anybody else around me. And so he, God met him in that place began to work to fill the hole that he was trying to fill through so many other things, through these various successes. And now Paul is the guy who helps and devotes his life to helping men find meaning beyond their workplaces, beyond the places that our world tells us where meaning is found. And the list could go on and on and on. They're all around this room. They're all around our lives and our stories of the stories of redemption, restoration, and new life that God loves to do. Because here's the truth. This is what God does. <laughs> this is what he's in the business of doing. He's not in the business of being the moral policeman of the, of the world. He's not in the business of trying to make sure that everyone does everything all perfectly right all the time and gets all the I's dotted and T's crossed. That's not the job. That's not the business that God is in. He's in the business of restoring people. Despite the narratives you hear on the news, despite uh, how you might feel, despite the choices you've made, the pain you felt, the hurt that you've caused even, 
the truth this morning is this, that restoration is possible, and the restoration is possible because of this. Restoration is exactly what God does. And if we believe that he's true, if the songs we sang are actually the truth, then this is the story of what God loves to do in our lives. And it's exactly what Jesus proclaims is the reason why he comes, right? Luke 19.10, Jesus says it this way. He says, for the Son of Man, which is Jesus' fun way in the third person to talk about himself. Just by the way, when he says Son of Man, that's like me going, so Brian says... That's him doing that with a little bit of pizzazz, right, up behind it. For the Son of Man, for Jesus himself, came to seek and to save those who are lost. Jesus is saying, this is why I was born. This is why I, I died. It's to save us and to bring us restoration. The Apostle Paul, he writes over half of the New Testament, guys, in different letters and things like that. It says this way in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. He says, for he, he's talking about God here, for God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Restoration. It's not just possible. This is what God does. This is what he does in our lives, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in our towns. In our world, this is what God does. That'd be a great sermon just to leave it there, drop the mic, leave, and everything else. But here's where the here's the difficulty: is the question is not the issue is not for us. Does God like to restore? We all kind of there's a lot of nods. Yeah, yeah, that's what God does. Yeah, 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 that's possible. But what does it look like when God's restoration actually comes? And this is where the rubber meets the road for many of us, and this is where many of us become disenfranchised or, or, or just kind of we start to disillusion with what God actually might be doing in our lives because it doesn't line up with what we want him to do in our lives or what he's doing in our world because we, we go, that's not what I want things to look like in my world or what he's actually doing around us. See, for most of us, I'm going to say some things in the next couple minutes that none of us would say out loud. Right, but can, I'm just going to say them out loud because most of us probably live this way if we're just a little bit honest this morning. Can we be an honest church this morning? All right, all right. Most of us, we would love for God, really we would love for God to change and to transform the results of our actions, the results of our patterns of living, change the results of what's happening in our lives, but man, we would love to just keep on doing those things, though, because we like them. We, we, we enjoy them. They're, 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 they're comforting to us. They're, they're habits we've developed over time. We would love to keep living the same way, keep doing the same things, keep engaging the same ways, keep thinking the same things, but end up somehow at the end of the day with a different result. Like, man, I'd love to never have to change a thing about myself, but somehow for God to miraculously on the other side of things change all the things around me so everything is wonderful, happy, clappy, and it's rainbows and unicorns and everything else. All the things my daughter loves. She's down in the kids' ministry. Everything that she loves, that's what we want it to all turn out to be like. And this is what transformation looks like, restoration looks like, when we do it on our terms, Right? It's we get to drive the bus on this. It's we get to do what we want, and somehow in the middle of it, we want God to miraculously change it and then make these great results occur or different things to happen. But God's transformation, his restoration in our lives, not only encompasses the results of our actions, but he actually loves you enough to change the actual literal inner parts of you, your heart, your life, your ways of living and engaging. He's not just happy with a different result at the end of the day. 
He actually wants to change you from the inside out. In my household, um, I have four kids, 10 and under. We went to Disney in February, still recovering. <laughs> it's great. It's fantastic. Um, not going to do that again for a long time. That was great. Um, <laughs> it was wonderful. But yeah, we have four kids, uh, 10, 8, 6, and 4. Pray for us. Um, pray for us. <laughs> we, uh, we're done. We're out um, at this point in time. But, but in our household, in the, in the Rems household, Legos abound. Three of those four kids are boys, and the girl, she loves playing with Legos just as much as the boys do. And so Legos are everywhere. They are everywhere, so much so that, 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 that I'm telling you, there are Legos constantly all over the floor. And because we've been at this, our oldest is 10 for a really long time. My wife and I step on a Lego, don't even flinch. Doesn't even hurt anymore. Calluses, just the entire bottoms of our feet. It's like, man, whatever, that was a Lego. No big deal. Just, just right over top of it, no issue at all. That'd be, that's, that's the type of world we're swimming in. And of course, if you have kids, you realize that like, the kids have these big Lego bins, right? Big Lego bins, and, and, and they love to make creations with them and everything else. And you know, they're looking for one little, little Lego piece, usually to like, fill in a spot there, right? And if it were me, probably you, you'd open up the top of the Lego bin and you'd go searching for the piece inside of it. It's not how they search for them. <laughs> we have hardwood floors too, so like, like it's not even like it's a carpeted thing where like they stay in one place, it's like they hit and then you just go everywhere. The entire house, just all these little Lego pieces everywhere. And so we live in a house with just Legos constantly on the floor, nonstop. Eventually, they'll get there. And so inevitably, what happens is that Lego creations get made all the time. And then when they get made, there's four kids. So they get, they get broken. They get stepped on. They get crashed into. Some sibling love occurs. And they decide that the way to get back at the other one is to just just wallop their, their Lego creation there. And, and so they do this back and forth to each other, you know, regularly, right? And occasionally, not often, but occasionally one of my kids will come up to me and they'll say, hey, Dad, um, usually through tears, because they're just, they're just distraught, someone destroyed this, this beloved, magnificent piece of architecture that they came up with. And they go, Dad, would you help us to restore this, they don't use this language, they're like, Dad, help me put it back together, is really what they're saying, but I'm going to translate it. Could you help me to restore this back to what it was before? And it seems like on the surface, like, yes, this is a great father-son, father-daughter bonding moment to be able to get down and play with Legos, release your inner child again, Brian, and just have some fun, except for there's a small problem. While my son took three hours to put the Hogwarts castle together originally on Christmas last year because he was so excited about it, everything else, dad took that as three hours that he didn't have to entertain said child and did not pay attention to where all the pieces were supposed to go in the Hogwarts castle there. And so he's been down on his knees playing with this at eye level. He knows where every little piece is supposed to go on this castle and dad has no clue what it's supposed to look like or where it's supposed to go. And it is almost impossible to restore something back to the way it's supposed to look when you have no clue what it's supposed to look like in the first place. Man, that's vital when it comes to Lego creating. I've figured that out the hard way. I get told constantly, that doesn't go there, Dad. It's supposed to be the light brown color one, not the dark brown one. 
You told me brown. All right? Come on, kids. All right? But man, it is vital to that, but it is essential to understanding what it means for God's restoration to come into our hearts, our minds, our families, our, li- our, our, our cities, our neighborhoods. And there's an interesting passage of Scripture I'd like to point to to show what this looks like. It comes out of the, the book of Numbers. You all read that often, right? Any book with the, with the title Numbers is something everyone loves to go to often, right? So maybe if you're an Excel spreadsheet nerd, but, um, you know, but otherwise, like, like Numbers is not a, not a place we go to often, but Numbers is the story of really the, the wilderness years of the nation of Israel between when they leave Egypt in the Exodus and when they enter the Promised Land uh, eventually in the book of Joshua. And Numbers is that these wandering years that are there. And in the middle of this, in Numbers chapter 6, there's a, you've probably heard these words before, probably by a pastor at the end of a sermon or a service there. You've heard these words before. There's a benediction that's shared by God to the priests that they say, speak this over the people regularly. And the idea with that is that, is that they're supposed to speak it often over the people of God to remind them of what God is doing, who he is, and how he's working them. It's a constant reminder to them of who they are and what God's doing in them. And this is what the benediction, the blessing says in Numbers chapter 6. It says, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his, you know the last word, peace. Peace. Do you know that word peace in Hebrew is the word shalom, which you've probably heard somewhere along the way, either uh, from some Jewish friends or in the church, or there's a couple movies that make fun of this word. So um, they're out there as well. So this word shalom, though, shows up over and over and over again. And peace is a really good translation of the word shalom, but it's, it's not really, it's not the way we think about peace. You see, peace, for most of us, the way we think about peace, peace is the experience of the absence of conflict. Thanksgiving is about three weeks, less than three weeks away now. Thanksgiving will happen at my house on, uh, there. And um, let's just say I stay out of the kitchen because there is not peace in the kitchen very much. I offer to smoke the turkey outside on my Traeger because it gets me out of the house. I don't really need to check it that often. But I do. <laughs> but I do. Peace is what will happen when Uncle Joe and Aunt Susie, who every year they get at it at the, at the Thanksgiving table, if we can find a way for them to not have the politics discussion, boy, there will be peace because there will be an absence of conflict at Thanksgiving. That's the way we think of it, right? Peace will occur in global conflicts when people stop shooting things at each other and people stop, that's, that's peace that it will happen, right? That's what we think of when we think of peace. And the word shalom, it has that, there is that idea of, a, of an absence of conflict, but it's really more than that. It's more complex than that. It's greater than that. Because shalom is really the, the occurrence of peace that happens when things are as they ought to be. It's the sense of peace that, that the word connotates these ideas of when things are full, things are complete. Things are whole. Things are right. There's a rightness, a wholeness, a completeness, a fullness to things when shalom is experienced. It's the opposite of the meltdown at Disney World. Like Disney World meltdowns, you're like, I paid $10,000 for this trip just so that you could see Mickey Mouse and you're screaming. (laughs) 
come on. <laughs> and in the midst, you missed Mickey Mouse walking across. That's wonderful. Fantastic. All right. It's the opposite of that. It's the places that where you've had those moments, I'm sure. They're fleeting, and they seem so, so, like, you just wish you could grab onto them longer. But there's moments where you're sitting in that rocking chair, and you're looking out over that peaceful place, and you're just like, this is right. There's a fullness. There's a complete. It's the place where you lose track of time. Time no longer is in seconds and minutes and hours, but it's in fullness, right? It's the, there's this idea of time is just full. I don't care what time it is. I'm no longer bound by a clock. This is, there's a rightness to the space. That's shalom. One theologian says it this way, shalom is not merely the absence of conflict, but it's the presence of justice and of flourishing for all people. A life of wholeness, completeness, justice, flourishing for all people. I don't know about you, but when I hear that, something in me gets really excited. Like, I, I, I yearn for that. I want that. That's what I want in my life. That's what I want for my kids. That's what I want for my family. That's what I want for my neighborhood, for my street, for my town, for my city, for the world. And I think that's a God-placed yearning within us, that we yearn for these things to be full and right. And folks, can I tell you that that is what restoration looks like when God brings it into our lives. It looks like wholeness and completeness and rightness and fullness. Not moral policing and difficult posts on social media and making sure and pointing fingers and throwing rocks at each other from across the way and everything else. It looks like wholeness and completeness and fullness. It's shalom. This is the restoration process. This is what it looks like. Now we get to the pivot here. And you heard the name of the church, Restoration Church. This is the least impressive like, rationale for why a church exists on the face of the earth. We have this crazy, weird idea that the vision behind this congregation is really very simple. We believe that if God is a God of restoration, if God is a God of bringing shalom and peace into the world, if that's what God's about, then maybe, just maybe, that's who God's people are called to be as well. That maybe, just maybe, that's really what it means to be his church, is to be people who are agents of restoration in a broken world. Agents of shalom in a broken world. To come alongside this, this God of restoration, this God who desires to bring peace and wholeness into our world, and to come alongside him in the communities and in the cities to which we are sent to be a vessel for that, to be a conduit through which his restorative grace can move and work into every nook and cranny of the city. In Frederick, there's a couple of, of, of passages that we've looked at as we've been talking about this church plant that is now just about a month old um, here. And, and, and they really come, it's interesting, out of the prophets, because the prophets are all about restoration when you get down to it. This is the story that they share. And, and in the prophet Isaiah, and this is in the message translation, in Isaiah 58, 12, um, God is saying to the prophet Isaiah and to the people through him, that you will use the old rubble of past lives to build anew, to rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything, restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, and make the community livable again. He turns around and to the prophet Jeremiah, right? And in Jeremiah 29, verse 7, not verse 11, the one that you have on the wall, all right, that you probably take out of context and, you know, apply into situations because most of us aren't living in exile and dealing with difficult things. But before that, there, there's even better verse that you should probably put up on your wall because it's even better, actually. It says, also, he says this to the people who are in exile, also seek the peace, shalom, that's the word, 
the shalom and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because when it prospers, you too will prosper. Okay, well, those are the prophets, right? What does Jesus have to say about this? Well, in that, that longest teaching passage known as the Sermon on the Mount, there's an entire beatitude about the in there. It says, literally, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I find it interesting he says peacemakers, not peacekeepers. You see, peacekeepers are the people who sit between Uncle Joe and Aunt Susie, and they sit there, and they just try to make sure that they just don't throw the stuffing, right? The turkey leg stays on your plate, all right? You don't chuck people over there. They just make sure that the things just, they just, there's not really, they're not trying to make reconciliation occur. They're just trying not to have World War III break out in the living room. That's all that is. And at times, peacekeeping is necessary. But peacemaking, peacemaking is stepping into the places of hurt and pain. It's stepping into the stories of Marvin and Ajay and Victor and of Paul. It's stepping into the places where things are not right and saying, I'm going to help be a conduit through which God's restorative grace can come in the midst of this place of hurt and pain and difficulty. And so today, um, this is what we really are trying to do in Frederick. Frederick is an amazing city um, in many ways. Most people don't realize this. Frederick's the second largest city in Maryland now. It's the fastest growing city in Maryland now. And um, the denomination that we are a part of, the Church of the Nazarene, has had a church there for um, the better part of the last 70 years um, that unfortunately um, came to a place where um, there really wasn't much going on there about a year ago. And so the church was closed. Um, the congregation was uh, ceased to exist as a congregation, and things were kind of let to lie fallow for a season in hopes that the God who brings resurrection would do it again. Um, I was the pastor of the church down the street. I was pastoring New Beginning Church, which you guys probably have heard about because we've done our series together, and I was a happy, happy, happy pastor. I was pastoring in my hometown. I was pastoring in the place where, I mean, my parents live right down the street, and they came to church. My in-laws were right near there. Um, it was a great church. We'd been through 10 years of hard conversations to be a really missionally engaged church. They got it, what it means to engage with their community. It was a perfect place to want to spend the next 30 years of your ministry. It would have been awesome. It would have been great. And so as the pastor down the street, when things kind of closed in Frederick, I did the pastorly thing, right? Like, you pray. Like, yeah, yeah, well, I'll pray for, for what's going on in Frederick. Pray that God would bring something new. We need that. It's down the street. Okay, that's great. And then as things continued forward, I started to see that we were really in need of, 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 of someone to come in and to plant something new. And so I started to pray that God would bring and make that, make that obvious to the, to the next right person right there. And I kind of did it selfishly, to be honest. Uh, I really, my prayer usually went like this. Lord, would you bring someone... That need to Frederick, the person that you have for this, and would you let them be really cool? Like, would you let it be someone that would be really fun to, like, like do, like, ministry with? Because, like, that'd be awful. Like, you just bring someone that was, like, almost impossible to work with. That'd be great if you could bring someone great here. And I started to pray and ask God to show me how I could be a part of helping. How can I help, you know, set the table, pave the way, make things so that something great can happen there? And see, that's the prayer that when you start to get to that place, that's where God changes things and starts to do some weird stuff, starts to do things. Because it's, it's a good prayer, but it's a dangerous prayer. You see, my hope out of this message this morning is that you had people, places, things, 
neighborhoods that popped into your mind, places that shalom is not, not maybe what you would think of when you think of those places. Maybe you know there's hurt and pain in those people's lives. And God is the only one that will bring restoration. I want you to pray that God would bring restoration to their lives. But if you're willing to be a little bit dangerous with me and go a little bit to the next level prayer, the next level prayer is, Lord, bring restoration and show me how I can be someone who steps into the fray and can be a conduit of that restorative grace in this place. And let me tell you, when you do that, it's going to be good. But it's going to lead you to let go of some things. I did that, and within a couple weeks, God started to show exactly. He started to go, I think it's you. <laughs> got the wrong address, Dad. God. I'm like, I'm good. I'm, I got, my, got the church. We're good. Like, I don't understand. Like, no, it's, it's you. Thankfully, he told my wife the same thing, um, so that that was great. Um, that, she started the conversation, made it a lot easier to have it um, at that point in time. And since uh, July, we've been... We've been working and trying to just till the ground there. We started a worship service on Saturday evenings uh, four weeks ago. Last night was our fourth service that we've had, so we're a month old. Woo! Um, and uh, don't ask me how it's going. I don't know. It's a month old, all right? It's like being a parent of a newborn after one month of having the child. You don't know if you're a good parent or not. In fact, you're pretty sure you're not at this point in time because you've messed up so many times. It's kind of like that at this point in time, all right? So, so don't ask me if it's going well. I don't know. Um, but it's going. So it's happening. Nothing's died yet. No one's gotten seriously injured yet. So we're good um, at this point in time. And we're seeing some people come through the doors. And there are people who come through the doors who have stories of hurt and pain and difficulty. And so we really are desiring as we move forward to see this new expression of the church in this old building, this old place of ministry. We really want to be a church that, that isn't just trying to shuffle the deck of churchy people. We're not looking to bring people from the church across town over here to somehow shuffle the deck. But we really want to, especially in the communities that are around us, that are people who are hurting, who are working three jobs and still can't make ends meet, people who, who are struggling in so many different ways, kids who are, who are really, um, uh, really are at risk in many different ways. Um, we want to be a church for them to be able to experience the goodness of who God is. So um, if you want to hear more, please let me know. Um, Shane, thank you for the opportunity to get to share this morning. But I encourage you, really the point of this sermon, in my, in my uh, estimation, is not actually, here's Restoration Church, look how awesome we are. We, we would love your prayers. We'd love for you to support however you can. Um, but really, um, our desire is to see a movement of God's restorative grace. And so I'm going to pray here in a second. Our worship team can start make their way back up here, sing one last song here, I think, and whatever you're going to do, I don't know uh, what's going to happen here. <laughs> I'm just the guest. I just mess things up and then send you back to the pastor and say, you deal with it. Um, and, uh, but in the midst of that, as we pray, I'm going to pray, but I want you to think about that place that needs shalom. Maybe that's you today. You're like, things are not okay. Or maybe it's a spouse, a friend, a family member. Maybe it's the neighborhood that you live in or the neighborhood across town. And as I pray, um, prayer is not a spectator sport. Prayer is not you listen to the guy who waxes eloquent, which would be Shane, or the guy who tries to, which would be me, up front and go, mm-hmm, to some words that get shared. But it's an opportunity for us all to go to the throne room of God and to go to the God who, here's the truth, he is bending his ear to listen to you. He's already engaged in the conversation before you show up and open your mouth. And so he wants to hear from you. He wants to hear the, the places that break your heart. He wants to hear about the things that aren't right. And he wants us to open ourselves up to him to bring his restorative grace into our lives. 
And then maybe if a couple of you would be bold enough maybe to ask how you can be the conduit of that into the lives and the neighborhoods and the situations that are around us. So Lord, we come to you this morning, Lord, knowing that you are the God of all restoration. And not that we have to guess whether you want to do that, Lord, but this is, this is what you do. That when we will open ourselves up to you, you change things. Sometimes that change comes easier. Sometimes that change, we've got to work through some really difficult stuff and it's hard. And yet, Lord, we know that you are the God of all restoration, the God of all transformation, the God who wants to, who wants to meet us where we are but never wants to leave us where we, we're found. And so, Lord, the, the various places, the situations, the circumstances this morning that are on people's hearts, Lord, where shalom is not being found and where wholeness and completeness and rightness are needed, Lord, I pray that your grace would meet them in those places. Or that you would bring your transformation and your restoration into those hearts, those lives, those neighborhoods, those communities, and into our world. And Lord, I pray alongside those individuals who have who've been willing to take that next step, Lord, to say, I want to be a, a conduit of your grace, Lord. That I want to be a, an agent of restoration in a broken world, Lord, I I pray that you would show them how they can be used by you to be a peacemaker in the world around them. You would give them courage to be willing to step into the fray sometimes and realize that that, that may not be a safe place to be, but it's a good place to be. So Lord, guide us, your church, to be people of your restorative grace. Remind us of what you've done in our lives and then lead us to be agents of that in the world around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.